lay them on the money line, and then roll it over every single time they win. Way out of here. Oh, goodness. The last seven games in which they've come in with rest have all gone under. Plus 115, the price I paid for this, the yeah, I like it. Makes the catch at the 10, and he's in for a touchdown. This is Behind the Bets, the podcast. Welcome into the latest Behind the Bets podcast. The calendar has turned to September. We are taping this on Wednesday, September 1st. Football is here, specifically college football. I know we had the appetizer last weekend, but this is the full slate. It gets going actually tonight, and then a bunch of games on Thursday into the weekend and it's look it's awesome and coming up in a little bit we're gonna have Aaron Renning professional better you've heard him here on the podcast a few times we've talked talked NBA and also college football and some NFL as well he's a sharp dude bets a lot and uh, thought he'd be a good good guest for our opening weekend official weekend in college football remember we have a ton of content on the behind the bets podcast feed so if you want to go listen to some ones that still have shelf life like Tom Hart, after going to SEC Media Days, interesting. We had Jay Romano, another pro better, talking about his week one plays and some futures. We also had some NFL content. John Murray was on the podcast a week ago talking about sharp plays they've had from behind the counter, how they're positioning some needs out the Westgate Las Vegas Superbook. And Aaron Schatz did the, both the AFC and NFC with me in the month of August. So we've had a lot of good content out there, but we're going to get into the specific games. I have a handful of plays right now on ESPN.com's chalk section. I've given them out on Daily Wager, but... You know, we'll, we'll fo- I'll rip through a few here. I want to start with ECU. This number's come down a little bit. They play Thursday night against Appalachian State. And look, I think ECU is a live dog. Jay Romano talked about it as well. They have a bunch of veterans, including senior quarterback. And App State's been a little shaky as well. And they have a new quarterback in Chase Bryce. You might remember him. He played at Clemson, then transferred to Duke. Ten and a half's a lot of points for an ECU team that always seems to pull games out of the hat and have crazy plays at the end. I like myself getting double digits. It's plus 10 right now, but still, I would uh, I would jump in on, on ECU as long as you're getting double digits and maybe a little sprinkle on the money line. That could be some fun. Uh, the game I actually like the most, and I'm kind of scared about it, and it's UMass. And everybody who listens to the pod on a reg- somewhat regular basis knows I'm kind of the betting bully, as Matt Newman's a frequent guest here, calls me. I like to bet on bet against bad teams and just, just do it, right? Like Orioles season win total under. I've certainly bet against UMass in the past, but... 38 is just way too many points, and I'll tell you why. Walt Bell and UMass went out and got a bunch of transfers. Their quarterback is a six foot five inch from from Colorado, like the University of, and or Colorado University of Boulder. And then they have two running backs that transferred in, one from Rutgers. So a team that was like FCS not too long ago or FCS quality has some real players, and you only have to get 38. Now Pitt's good, but they're at Tennessee the following week. Narduzzi is not a guy who's going to run up the score. He's old school. Fourth quarter, they'll bring in the oars a little bit. And on top of that, probably the best angle I have is the offensive coordinator for Pitt is a guy named Mark Whipple. He's coached UMass twice, head coach. Also, the most recent time was just a few years ago. This is not the situation where he wants to embarrass his former program. UMass has a special place in his heart. Whipple's going to call off the dogs as well. So I just think if UMass can get about two touchdowns, even if it's garbage time, I think plus 38 is the play in that game, as crazy as it sounds. Another game I like is essentially a coin flip game, and it's Syracuse minus one and a half. You might remember I've talked about it with Jay Romano, uh, the over three in the win total. 
They're going to split time at quarterback. Dino Babers made that announcement. I don't love it. I would prefer Tommy DeVito to be the uh, the entire time, but dual threat with a Michigan State, sorry, Mississippi State transfer, Garrett Schrader. Uh, they're just better at a lot of positions at Ohio, but most importantly, Syracuse addressed their offensive line issues. It was a pathetic offense. Couldn't even average. They averaged about 250 yards per game, not passing, just total yards per game. DeVito would be injured a lot, spent a lot of time on his back. If they're okay on the offensive line, this is just a Syracuse team that's just better. No more Frank Zolich at Ohio. Uh, the Bobcats will rotate quarterbacks. Curtis Rourke, who's obviously the brother of Nathan Rourke, the stud, uh, former stud Bobcats quarterback. And then Armani Rogers, the transfer from UNLV. I, Ohio's not very good. They looked good last year against the two bad teams, really bad teams in the MAC, Akron and Bowling Green. But I think Hughes gets there with just better talent, uh, especially with DeVito healthy and maybe – we hope, an improved offensive line. And my fourth play I want to talk about is the Monday nighter, uh, Ole Miss. And, uh, excuse me, that's Monday or Sunday. I forget which one it is. But it's I believe it's Monday night. Ole Miss against Louisville. This number is trickling up. I've seen some 11s as well. Look, Lane Kiffin is not going to miss this opportunity. He loves the spotlight, and he knows the value of an island game that we talk about, right? The ice standalone primetime game. Kiffin is going to do everything to just try to open up a can on Monday night in Atlanta, neutral site. Now, Louisville has some players. I love Scott Satterfield. He's now taking over offensive play-calling duties. That should improve it. But remember, Cunningham lost his top two wideouts, including Tutu Atwell, who's just a speed burner and would do all sorts of great things. They had turnovers plagued them. I expect some regression there. But I just think Ole Miss, which went toe-to-toe last year, put up 48 on Bama can hang a number, and I think it'll be close about the first half, and they'll pull away. I just think well, uh, Kiffin's going to use this for recruiting and, and bragging rights and just everything. He wants to flex in this game, and I think they, they win this one by double digits. So I'm laying the 10 here. It's moving, so if you like it, I'd, I wouldn't wait till Monday night to get in on that one. So those are my four plays. They're also in the chalk column. We have other plays as well. Daily wager all week on 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN News. This week we'll go back to ESPN2 next week, and then obviously we're talking football next week here on the podcast, but let's get some uh, plays from ER. Money won is twice as sweet as money earned. Time now to welcome back a guest you have heard here a handful of times on the Beyond the Bets podcast, Aaron Renning. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Doug. Uh, Glad to be uh, back with you. I might be a little rusty uh, (laughs) on the airwaves, but uh, more more than uh, happy to be back with you. I'm happy to be uh, watching football this weekend and handicapping football. Uh, for the upcoming season, obviously. My presence doesn't trump an entire slate of college football with fans and betting lines. Oh, I'm shocked. Uh, no, man, I, I'm fired up too. And obviously, you know, we're still going to have some bumps in the road for sure. But it's starting to, it will start to feel like normal on Saturday with a huge, huge crowd. How much of the crowds being there with college kids maybe being impacted by crowd noise and all that on the road? How much does that sort of uh, impact your handicapping or factor into it? You know what? It's not going to handy. Uh, not going to get into it too much. Um, I, I honestly, I thought uh, with the NBA playoffs, uh, of course, NBA regular season uh, did not have uh, fans for the most part, and then it really picked up in the playoffs. I thought it was going to make a difference, and quite honestly, it really didn't uh, from a spread perspective. I guess maybe you could say the NBA finals. Uh, it did so. Um, you certainly have to be aware of it, Doug, and certainly we're going to be glad to see it 
uh, it's a lot of us going to be a, a part of it as well. But, you know, it, it certainly adds a little bit to the home field, but it doesn't make that much of a difference in the end, I don't think. Well, one thing that does make a difference, it's got to at least, is sort of what's happening with the LSU team, displaced with Hurricane uh, Ida and then now having to go to the Rose Bowl. Now, crowd noise, not really a factor usually in Pasadena, but I wonder, uh, it's an interesting game. This line's come down to three. Bruins obviously have a game under their belt, looked fantastic against Hawaii, although DTR did not look incredibly uh, impressive, but just the rushing attack and the defense. But So you're on the Bruins here. Uh, just you know, break it down for us with LSU, a three-point road favorite. Yeah, I took uh, UCLA plus the points here. Uh, in this game, and obviously you talk about home field advantage, uh, LSU probably uh, going to have more fans in this game than UCLA. So uh, might, you know, whether it negates that or what. But, you know, with that said, Doug, I, I think it certainly probably adds uh, to this handicap that, as you mentioned, LSU has been displaced, at least uncomfortable uh, in their surroundings over the last week or so prepping uh, for this game. And you know, keep in mind, you know, how this situation kind of bears out. And I, I know some of the sharp guys on Twitter have actually said from a against the spread mark, um, teams that come in with um, that had played uh, the week earlier in college football against a team that hasn't played this year have actually trended in the opposite direction. Uh, the team that hasn't played has actually been the more positive against uh, the spread team. So that would be LSU here. But Again, you have to take everything um, as a one-game circumstance, and you have to look at it uh, that way. Uh, I, I think, I, for me, I still need to see something uh, from this LSU team that obviously you didn't really see much of uh, last year. Uh, or, I'm sorry, yes, yeah, last year overall with a 5-5 five and five straight-up record. Uh, it looked to be a program certainly on the downswing. Uh, they come in, uh, going to replace both coordinators here so relatively new schemes on both sides of the ball although they're going to be certainly familiar with what they're going to do on offense maybe a little bit from a defensive perspective with uh, relations uh, to their old coordinators here uh, and, and obviously they've recruited through the roof but I think they still need experience I think they're a little bit um, they'd be much happier with Brennan at quarterback uh, than Max Johnson here so I'm still uh, don't have any problem uh, taking a shot here and looking to go against LSU. Now, uh, I think UCLA is an interesting contrast here because, again, uh, whether it's you look at the tape of what happened and teams can see that, you know, if UCLA didn't have to show anything last Nothing. week, Doug, and, and beating up on a why he got out to that big lead uh, and just simply ran away from the game. So, you know, obviously the running game was very good. Hawaii's a, uh, LSU's a different animal than LSU. But uh, with that said, they didn't have to show much at the quarterback position. This UCLA team is absolutely stacked. Uh, I mean, this is what uh, Chip Kelly has been building uh, for here. And you could see that really physically on the field. For sure. Um, it was powerful. You know, how, you're, you're totally how strong right. and powerful and, and how fast uh, they were. So this is a very mature team. Uh, got essentially everybody back. Uh, from last year and didn't lose anything. So uh, I think the Bruins can win this game. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I really think it's going to be interesting. A guy like Orgeron, you know, the wheels came off last year. It'll be interesting to see if he can kind of keep this LSU team on the train track, especially with everything going on, practicing elsewhere and stuff like that. It's a fascinating handicap because you also have SEC Pac-12. Pac-12 is kind of 
laid some eggs in these situations in the past. We'll see if the Bruins can do it. And this is put up or shut up time for sure for Chip Kelly and UCLA. Speaking of put up or shut up, it's got to be there or approaching there for Jim Harbaugh in Ann Arbor. Michigan hosting Western Michigan at the big house. Their big favorite, 17, the total 67. And that's where you're headed for this game. Uh, yes. Yeah, uh, and, and one thing, and you know, it's one, I guess one issue and one thing to look at uh, from last year and try to take something away and move forward and be able to profit from uh, this year, Doug, is, you know, essentially, you know, the conferences played the conferences really wasn't outside of the bowls, maybe that early game uh, last year uh, in September with some of these teams where they did play non-conference opponents. And, you know, I think this is maybe an instant where we can maybe pick up and, and have just a little bit of value uh, with that. And that's uh, with Western Michigan, obviously, out of the MAC. Uh, we all watched uh, MAC action uh, <laughs> last year, and, boy, it wasn't a lot of defense played, Doug. Uh, a lot of shootouts uh, between those two teams or uh, between those teams. It, it died down a little bit. Um, towards the end in some of those games. But obviously with Western Michigan, you're talking about a very high-scoring team, very potent team uh, offensively and didn't have much in the way uh, of defense. Uh, and, you know, that's essentially where how this team is built uh, under Tim uh, Lester. And uh, they expect to be that way once again this year. Although I will say um, they, they do have some talent, um, some plus talent on the defensive side of the ball, including some guys that missed time. Uh, last year with injuries, et cetera. But again, you know, you go back to the shootouts uh, that they had last year, the Mac against Akron, they could name the store scored Northern Illinois, kind of the same uh, shootouts against uh, Toledo and central Michigan. I, I think they are going to run up into a different kind of defense here uh, and really caliber player with Michigan. And uh, obviously Michigan last year, <laughs> Nothing to write home about from, from a defensive uh, standpoint with them uh, as well. But obviously, this team has the pedigree and the back class to uh, improve immensely uh, from how they were defensively last year. Um, you know, this is a team that essentially had always averaged or allowed, uh, you know, 4.6 yards per play last year. It was 5.6 uh, from Michigan. They change. Uh, at the uh, coordinator position, they bring in Mike McDonald, 33-year-olds uh, from the Ravens. I think uh, he would come on, um, you know, uh, as his bro uh, as he had worked uh, with his brother uh, with the Baltimore organization. So uh, the talent is there. I expect this uh, defense to improve immensely uh, for the Wolverines to get back to that back class uh, where they were in the past. Now uh, there has at least been talk uh, from an offensive standpoint where. Uh, they maybe get back a little bit to Jim Harbaugh's roots uh, as well. Uh, they at least would like to establish uh, the power run game. And, Doug, you know as well as I do, if you try to establish that power run game, that means you're hopefully going to take a little bit more time off the clock, uh, take some time in, in possessions, maybe what Michigan was two or three years ago with what they were doing uh, offensively here. And, and really both teams, uh, from a pace perspective, you're talking about a total uh, of almost 70 and when you're when you do that in college football that would certainly mean one of these teams is going to play extremely fast and that's simply not the case in fact uh, from a pace perspective I think you have two below all, uh, average offenses I don't think we see 135 plays in this game and you know for a total almost 70 uh, and you're not going to have that many plays 
Uh, I'm just not quite sure where all that offense is going to come from in a short period of time. So I thought there was value. I went under the total. All right. Understood. Um, So obviously high expectations for Harbaugh when he was signed by his alma mater. And there's certainly high expectations for Steve Sarkeesian heading over to Texas. They're only eight point favorites here against Louisiana Lafayette. And you're actually on the dog here. I did. And, you know, it's interesting because uh, there's been dog money. Uh, I mean, this has um, been uh, kind of, uh, I mean, I guess maybe a month ago you could have saw this one uh, in double digits. I certainly didn't get that number uh, coming in a little bit late to the party. But, you know, last week it was uh, down in single digits. And, you know, that's not exactly uh, tourists, etc. cetera, uh, betting on Louisiana in this game. Although, uh, remember, of course, last week, or I'm sorry, last year, they go into Iowa State the first game of the year, and nothing really fluky about it as a double-digit uh, underdog. Uh, they beat Iowa State 31-14. to So they've been there, uh, done that. Uh, again, this is a ascending program. Billy Napier has stayed home here. Uh, essentially, everybody returns. Uh, from this Louisiana team and they want to make waves. I mean, this is a, I mean, this is kind of their Super Bowl, uh, if you will, to go to Texas. And uh, again, a very smart team. I, I, I think the quarterback here, Levi Lewis, uh, the senior quarterback, Doug, I think the first time you lived in Vegas, he might've been playing, <laughs> he might've been playing uh, for Louisiana. He's, he's been here for a long There's time. There's a ton of guy. COVID changed everything, <laughs> right? Like I can't believe Martinez is still at Nebraska. Uh, I'm, I'm for all that we know, Hunter Renfro is still at Clemson. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's crazy, and in, in these some of these guys. But you're right; it does feel like he's been there forever. Uh, I, I, I saw one name. I don't know if it was a Mac quarterback or, or certainly a quarterback, or it was the the ex UNLV quarterback, uh, Armani oh, yeah. Rogers, still Armani. at Ohio. Of he had he had to be here, Doug, the last time you lived uh, in Las Vegas. Um, but but anyway, uh, Louisiana has a lot of these guys back. They've been in this program. Um, and, and, uh, you know, again, you go back to what they did against Iowa state, extremely, extremely well coached. So they're going to be prepared here. And I, I, you know, for whatever, you know, Texas makes the coaching move here. I don't think it's really an ascending coaching move. Um, for me, I, I think you're not getting much, uh, different here from Sarkeesian. Although, you know, you have to remember, uh, that again, new schemes on both sides of the ball. Uh, not always easy to pull off in that first game. In fact, um, you know, I've done a study, Doug, where you get these new regimes that come into college football, new head coaches. Uh, and again, you have to have new coordinators, et cetera, on both sides of the ball. In that first home game, uh, they generally disappoint against the spread. And I usually look to go against them here. Uh, again, if you go read the local papers, you're going to read about 20, 30 puff, puff pieces, how everything's different, how everything's great. Uh, but in reality, when you get out on that field in game one, you get hit in the mouth and everything changes uh, a little bit. And obviously, um, somewhat of a re, uh, rebuild, if you will, here for the Longhorns. I'm not so sure it's a reload exactly for this program. Uh, Going to be very young uh, at the quarterback position. Certainly have to replace some of these players uh, from last year. And again, uh, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I'd much rather have Napier uh, in this contest. So um, I, I think Louisiana comes out, plays really well, especially early. Hopefully we get some kind of lead and hang on. But uh, I like Louisiana here plus the points. All right. That would certainly be a stunner if they got the outright win. Um, 
lot of pressure. Obviously, the, the budget is fantastic over there at Texas, but it'll be interesting to see how Sark does getting another chance as a head coach after getting sort of rehabilitated under Saban, which is what Nick Saban does. Final game for you is Tennessee game. And it's fascinating to me just what's going to happen with this vol- Volunteers uh, season because they lost so many guys and really critical guys. These guys transferred to like Oklahoma and some major programs. They didn't just lose them to like the Ivy League. And Bowling Green is one of the worst teams in college football all last year. So you got a huge number and a huge total, and you're going to the total. Uh, yes, I am. I played this game uh, over the total. There's certainly been a little bit of movement. Uh, I have the market on my side. Uh, that's for sure uh, in this game. And, you know, maybe some of that is addition by subtraction here uh, for the volunteers. Obviously, whatever they were doing wasn't working with that three and seven record uh, last year. And, you know, you know, the jury's at least still out for me uh, with Josh, uh, Josh Heupel uh, as the head coach. But certainly the one thing uh, you can say about them is uh, they're going to be offensive team and they're going to play or run a heck of a lot of plays here. Uh, and that's going to be a change from what Tennessee was obviously doing here. Uh, but he's going to call his own plays. You know, he's kind of a new age coach, uh, a lot different from the old school guys. Again, a lot of rah-rah stuff coming out. Uh, from this volunteers team and you know I, I, as you mentioned the transfers and depth probably is going to be an issue for this team at some point but not going to matter uh, as much um, really in this first game against Bowling Green if you don't have the athletes out Bowling Green uh, here uh, then maybe you really have uh, some issues but you know this has been a conservative offense you put in Joe Milton here a guy that can make plays obviously against the again a undermanned Bowling Green defense here uh last year uh this Tennessee team completed i think 13 passes longer than 30 yards uh i believe i thought uh, that's out of like 300 passes Doug uh in their spring game it was 5 out of 47 so this is going to be a big play team. Uh, again, with Heupel, you look b- back to what Central Florida uh, was able to do. And, you know, and that's twofold here because it's one thing to go out and try to execute it uh, against uh, Florida or Alabama or Kentucky's defense. It's a completely other other thing to go out and, and do that against Bowling Green. So uh, this is a chance for Heupel to come out uh, in front of uh, the home crowd uh, and get this um, – uh, I guess, program on a, on his side uh, in scoring 50-plus points because, the, again, again against this Bowling Green defense, uh, I think Tennessee can essentially name uh, how many points they can score. I think that's going to be a lot here uh, on Saturday uh, with this team. And, you know, you look at Bowling Green, and, you know, that's always kind of the issue when you look at, you know, these bad teams like uh, Bowling Green, New Mexico State, et cetera. Uh, they are generally just so bad. They get involved in these shootouts. You know, when the spread's 35, uh, you know, their whole goal here is just to score a touchdown down in Tennessee. If they can put up 10 points, uh, very confident uh, that this game gets over the total. You know, it's funny. I think it's a perfect situation for Tennessee to kind of get right. I agree with you on the offense. Like, when they, they read the press clippings, they know not much is expected. It's them against the world. And this is a time Hypel can kind of – Mm-hmm. get his players some confidence too and right. kind of get fat if you will on a team like Bowling Green whereas more established programs like right. I don't know Bama he just wants to get in get out play the scrubs in the fourth quarter demonstrate sportsmanship and leave and you know collect the win so yeah and, and that's one thing about Central Florida too um, you know if you've paid attention to them over the years like you're right you know Alabama will come out 
um, pedal to the metal on offense, uh, run, you know, go a little bit faster. And then, yeah, the second half, they'll shut it down. Central Florida was a team that generally didn't shut it down. They have their system and they play their way. And, you know, they'll play that for four quarters. All right, my man. Great stuff. I know we often have talked NBA, but we got a little college in last year and good to kick off the season in the right proper way. Well, I hope it's great stuff on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you, man. Look, it's a long season. It's uh, it's always stressful. I have to put my picks in for the column and things like that and on air and stuff like that. But, you know, you just got to do it the way you've always been doing it. Like you said, keep firing. Yeah, I got all... uh, I got 25 bets out there for this weekend. Mercy. So. You picked right. these four, so good. <laughs> I right. like that. Our, our betters, thank you for that. <laughs> all right. All right, bud. Have a good one. Thanks for your time. All right. Hey, thank you. Pay that man his money. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Behind the Bets podcast. want to thank Aaron Renning and everyone else for tuning in, downloading, rating, reviewing, subscribing, all that stuff. The analytics really help us. And enjoy the holiday weekend. Be safe out there. Enjoy the college football. And then next week, we have both college and NFL, and it will be great to be back. And we'll have the podcast, obviously, returning next week to our regular schedule. So uh, thanks to everyone. It's been a great summer. Hope all of you appreciate the content. Again, the shelf life's still out there if you want to go back and listen to some old pods that kind of preview the season, the futures talks as well. But until then, best of luck this weekend. We'll see you back here next week. This is Behind the Bets, the podcast. You can listen to follow the Behind the Bets podcast wherever you get your podcast. Also, check out Doug Kazarian on Daily Wager, weekdays at 6 Eastern on ESPN2.